This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for November 18th, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. The message is by Bishop Roger Ames. I, I thought uh, I should begin with just a short story, a little, little um, theological story that would help set the context uh, for this morning. I know how this congregation has been well taught its theology, and so I know you'll pick up on this um, story right away. This is about the conversion uh, process between a priest, a rabbi, and a, um, a uh, Protestant minister. So a priest, a minister, and a rabbi went to see who was best at the job of converting a bear. They, well, I know, I know. As I said, it was a story. But see, which who was best at their job? And they, a bear. And so they were, they were, they took on the challenge of converting a bear. Please pay attention to me, not the crowd in the back. Okay, so they go into the woods, and they find a bear, and they attempt to convert it. And later they get together, and the priest begins, When I found the bear, I read to him from the catechism and sprinkled him with holy water. And next week was his, is his first communion. Well, I found a bear by the stream, says the minister, and I preached God's holy word. And the bear was so mesmerized that he let me baptize it. They both looked down at the rabbi, who was lying on a gurney in a body cast. <laughs> Looking back, he says, maybe I shouldn't have started with the circumcision. <laughs> See, they're very well read, very well taught. Yeah. Right away, right away. That, you know. Okay, well, that is kind of a story for the end times. Um, here is this set of, uh, of uh, readings that want to, uh, in one sense, uh, tell us about the future, but at the same time, keep us very focused on the present. And uh, it's the Holy Spirit's job in each of us to both animate us towards a holy living, a passionate living for the gospel, and, and right now, I mean, to be engaged momentarily, but at the same time, always remember that our real destiny and our future and our citizenship is in the heavenly city, uh, in, the, uh, in the new Jerusalem. Uh, Augustine recalled about the, uh, the city of God and the city of man. And on the one hand, most of the things that, that change us that we're equipped for, that the Holy Spirit's gifts are for, is for work in the city of man. But we all recognize that ultimately our destiny is for the city of God. Now, why is this important? Well, most of the time, in our kind of fallenness, uh, we are a fallen people living in a fallen world with other fallen people, so we get, we get overwhelmed with sin and sickness and death and we get sucked into the moment and all kinds of things divert us from our ultimate goal, which is to be a part of the city of God. Now, what I, I, I want to encourage you, if I can, just for a moment then this morning about from these readings is to live passionately for God, live with zeal for the things of God, be about the things of the kingdom with all your heart but recognize at the same time that you're doing it with an intentionality of looking forward to the, to the new heaven and the new earth. And what that means, practically speaking, is 
Everything I do here is for God, and nothing is in vain. It says in Matthew, nothing you do in the Spirit is in vain. That's really good to know, because a lot of times we do a whole lot of things that are unseen, unknown in one sense. They're not, they're not rewarded immediately. So when I'm, when I'm trying to be a, a, a person living for God or trying to be God's person in various ways, things about for loving and loving people and forgiving and being righteous, that is right living, doing the right thing, virtuous, noble, courageous, sort of those character things in particular, um, they're often overlooked. There's nobody patting me on the back saying, oh, nice job, or even noticing a lot of the times the small things, sometimes even big things in relationships about being God's person. You have to do them because of inner stuff, stuff where the Holy Spirit has said to you, now that's the right thing to do. That's the Jesus thing to do. This is the thing that will bring glory to God. This is the thing that will be who you really are. This is what will fill you and your heart with good stuff. Uh, don't, you, don't you find it there's a satisfaction about being God's person when you do do something right. Um, I mean, little things like going through the checkout counter and the girl gives you too much change and you say, oh no, you gave me two more bucks than you should have. Here, give it back. I mean, and the person, of course, is overwhelmed because nobody gives change back. What do they say? Oh God, God I, good, good for me. I got an extra two bucks. They don't. They don't. Am I talking to people? Would you give the two bucks back? Oh, okay. Well, see, that's the problem. You give the two bucks back. You aren't those nasty people that would keep the two dollars. <laughs> what I'm saying is most of the time as we live in the world, as we live in the world and, and, and are as fallen persons with other fallen persons and the enemies in the world, a lot of things come against living for the Lord, come, come against who we are, against living for the Lord. And so there's, there is a, a difficulty in... Uh, staying true to our calling. I'll start over a little bit. There's a difficulty in staying true to our calling. There's difficulty in being who we are intended by God to be. Um, it doesn't come easy to be to fulfill your destiny as God's person, God's uh, woman, God's man, God's husband, God's wife, God's child, uh, young person. Uh, God's businessman uh, or professional person or whatever you are. All of those, all of those are callings that in various ways um, God can be revealed as, as you're true to your identity, true to your humanity, uh, who, that is God as he has created you, uh, to your masculinity, femininity, vocation. All those things are ways in which we can bring glory to God. If I'm if I'm living truly as God has called me to be, as a man of God, a woman of God, and trying to fulfill the things he's given me as a vocation or um, a sense, again, of calling, and uh, using the gifts he's given me, there is uh, all kinds of impediments to that. My own fallenness, uh, the sin in the world, uh, the lure of other things that seem better, quicker, giving me a... Uh, a return on it uh, in, in, in terms of emotional things. So this, these scriptures want to say the, law, the thing you're really about is living for God for the long haul. The thing you're about is living for God for the long haul. Don't get sidetracked by short-term gains 
uh, worldly pleasures. I know it's sort of a cliche, but they're out there. And don't get, also, don't get moved by someone else's sin or something where the enemy takes and, and diverts you. I, I'll tell you one that doesn't seem like one of it is it's a sense of loss. When you lose somebody, when there's a great, when there's a loss of a job even, but certainly losses in our families or tragedies or other things that are part of being living this fallen world. A lot of people can get so sidetracked and the enemy will jump on this that they no longer, they don't trust God. They stop living for, not only living for God, but trusting God and they get very upset. I mean, I spend a lot of time counseling in my job with people whose hearts are broken over the loss of a child. That's probably one of the worst, the worst. Uh, a loss of a child or um, a spouse, a parent, a sickness that shouldn't have come, an accident that happened, uh, all kinds of things. And, and when that happens, when our hearts are so broken that we can't fulfill God's calling, or we're so beaten down we can't fulfill God's calling, or, there's, uh, or, or we've gotten entangled in sin and we don't any see any way out. I hope I'm speaking to someone here. Well, oh, not because I want those things in, but because God has a way out of that. When you then begin to forgive, it breaks the power of the enemy to hold you. You begin to forgive those situations, it breaks the power of the enemy to hold you. When you ask God, when you forgive God for the law sometimes, because that's no one else to forgive, that breaks the power of, uh, of the loss and the, and the grief thing that grabs a hold of you. When you can say, in spite of how difficult things are, Lord, I'm going to live for you no matter whether or not there is an immediate reward or things are bad. After all, the New Testament church didn't live in good times, did it? It was under political... Oh, we got through. Okay, okay, good. I thought it took a moment, but I thought we were getting there. Okay. I'll just kind of watch you and see if I'm making progress. Okay, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. Minister to him next week, Ron. I was... Um... I, it, it's, it, it's, it's a thing where um, the, the heart of God is to, is to lift us up from those things. And, and when we break through by forgiveness or love when there shouldn't be or determination to, this, to finish up, we're, we're acting, finish the race, we're acting like, um, like the New Testament uh, church did. It was under oppression. It was in, in occupied. I mean, the New Testament church lived in a land that was occupied and not by pleasant people. There was persecution. Uh, there was, a, I mean, people being put to death on a regular basis for um, uh, blasphemy and, and, and over religious issues. It was a hard time in that little backwater province. Uh, and there were all sorts of things that you couldn't, uh, you, you couldn't be free about. And yet, and yet God's people persevered. God's people persevered. And in spite of the persecution and the occupation, the huge taxes, the sort of uh, breaking of, uh, of, of years of tradition that had been built up. I mean, the, part of the scripture here from Mark talks about how the Romans wanted to put a, a um, statue in the temple. Now, to a Jew, a statue in their temple of, of Caesar, this is not good, is it? No. Uh, you know about the, the, the proclamation against idols uh, from the Ten Commandments on. But to put 
<laughs> so to put um, uh, a, a, a statue inside the temple in Jerusalem was like, woohoo. Okay, woohoo doesn't quite cover it, but um, <laughs> it's really, really bad. So there's, there is stuff going on at all levels that, uh, that make it very, very difficult to fulfill the call of God on this little, really um, non-powerful group of people. Yet brothers and sisters, people living, people just like you and I, living just like us, with exactly the same Holy Spirit and gifts, within 300 years, Rome is gone, and the Constantinian peace is here, and the whole Roman Empire is, at least in name, Christian. Uh, uh, there's problems with, with that, too, because of the nominalism. A lot of people became Christian for just, well, maybe for the wrong reasons, just to be a part of now the thing to be. But, it, but along with that, nevertheless, came the implementation of orphanages for the children, for the lost, the beginning of hospitals for the sick and dying, in time, uh, the stopping of abortion, uh, and the taking particularly of women's, the, the child, baby girls, which were not valued at that time. Uh, all of those uh, 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 issues that were a part of a, and, and of course the, the, the whole breakdown of families and, and, and the sexual issues and so on. All of that kind of thing began to be uh, addressed in, in major uh, ways. That will continue not just in that uh, period in, the, in Rome's uh, time, but right on up through um, the Reformation uh, era when um, our own Anglican colleague uh, Wilberforce will take on the whole English empire and by sticking to it will bring down the slave trade. But it took years, years of prayer and meeting in small groups and staying, staying clear about the focus until finally down comes the, the whole issue of slavery. And it transforms the English culture because with it also is uh, things that are tackled about the child labor laws, and even about animals, which were extremely poorly, uh, you know, this is the story of black beauty, sort of. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of things that get changed by Christians. In the case of Wilberforce, a very small group meeting together uh, that will have an impact on their culture. So I, I, I think, again, as I say, out of this, out of this text, uh, two texts, and I'll, I'll quit here, we'll, we'll lay hands on and ask the Lord to come for our confirmation. He came out of the temple, and one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. And then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives up at the temple, so Jesus and uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew are sitting looking at the temple on, from the Mount of Olives. This is a, I mean, this is a real setting with a real story here that's very, um, you can get into it. Some of you may have been on the, have, have any of you been on the Mount of Olives, look across at the temple? Uh-huh. You can actually do this. You can do just what these gentlemen were, were doing. I've been there myself. Uh, Gretchen and I have been there. Mount of Olives, out the temple. They ask him privately, tell us when this will be, when all of that will happen, when this stuff comes down, when the end comes. Well, we don't, we, we can't get our head around it, and neither 
can we probably? When will this come to an end? How will it be? What will, will happen? And Jesus, uh, the sign and that all these things are about to be accomplished. And then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and will lead them astray. So false, false prophets, false uh, messiahs, people who say, I'm your savior in some way or another, and, and begin to tell you that, that they have the truth about all things. Uh, that's one piece. Two, then they will lead you astray. When you hear of wars and rumor of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise among nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places and famines. But this is just the beginning of the birth pains. Now, I certainly am not here to tell you anything about a time schedule, time frame for what's about to happen, Okay. But I do think we all need to be um, encouraged the fact that the Lord is coming back. There is going to be an end to the creation process. The kingdom has already been inaugurated with Jesus' coming. His coming, his birth, death, passion, resurrection, ascension, that is the beginning of the last days. So you and I live in this room this morning, you and I living uh, at the moment are living in the last days. You're people of the last days, but we haven't reached the last day. In the last days, but haven't reached the last day. Kingdom inaugurated, but not yet consummated. But that has been assured by Jesus' rising. And he gives you what the new heaven, new earth, resurrection stuff looks like. He's back from the dead. He comes through the door. He appears out of nowhere. He's not bound by time, space. All of those things get changed. That's what the new heaven, new earth is going to be like as much as we can understand it. Everything is going to be touched and be different and yet be the same. Jesus, it's Jesus, we know it's Jesus. He comes in, um, he eats, uh, he walks with us uh, down the road in Emmaus, he speaks to us, he eats, talks, and so on. So we know it's Jesus, although sometimes we have a little trouble recognizing him in his new, new what? New glory, new guise. But at the same time, as it's Jesus, it's also somebody dramatically changed. So continuity, discontinuity. Uh, the new heaven, the new earth, continuity, discontinuity, what will it look like? You and I don't have to figure that out. We do not have to figure out the time frame, and we don't have to figure out the continuity, discontinuity, what's the new heaven, new earth, what's Jesus before and Jesus after. We only know that Jesus has already risen from the dead, has, uh, has been among us, and ascended the right hand, and is there interceding for us. And that, with that promise, is what the Hebrews are, the faithful one, with that promise with the faithfulness of Jesus, he will return and there will be a culmination uh, and, and there will be this new glorious thing birth and there'll be birth pangs to get there. It will be tough. That's why there's all this talk in some ways of destruction, but it's destruction of the enemy, destruction of the, of the evil, destruction in ways that, that is cleansing. Uh, N.T. Wright, probably the greatest living Anglican theologian, right, talks a lot about this hope, um, this hope we have of the end, because it actually ushers in great things. Even while it's cleansing the created order, it ushers in this wonderful new uh, world we live in. So live intensely. Live intensely for God. 